0: When I start to work with speakers, it's really about me asking them tons of questions so they become comfortable with telling me the truth. And that is when we identify what that real idea is.
1: From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. So, you want to be a speaker. You want to tell your story. Spoiler alert, it's not so easy, and I think you might know why. Anyone can tell their story, but that doth not maketh them a storyteller. There is a definitive art, a method, a process to be a storyteller, nay, perhaps even an orator but not necessarily a town crier. Today, I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Trisha Brooke, an award-winning director, choreographer, speaker, writer, podcaster, and founder of The Big Talk Academy, which is a 12-week virtual certification program that'll teach you the skills you need to identify, write, share, and maybe even perform your big talk. Stories are all we have, And storytelling is what binds us together as a society. In healthcare, the right story told the right way to the right person can get a drug approved, a bill passed, or a critically disenfranchising law repealed. From the shyest wallflower filled with stage fright to the most professionally trained thespians, we talk about inclusion, integrity, and how a little self-confidence can actually change the world. Enjoy my chat with Trisha Brooke. Trish Brooke, thank you so much for coming in Out of Patience. This has been like a waiting for Godot. I've known you almost 18 months, and the desire to have us on the same mic at the same time has been waiting to happen, and I'm so happy to, to have you here today to talk to us.
0: Matthew, I am so excited to be here, and they cannot keep us apart
1: I feel like there's a Broadway song coming on because we both have an odd, procured uh, backstory in theater.
0: There's always a Broadway song coming on. I mean, life
1: is a musical, right, Matthew? (laughs) I thought life was a highway. No, never mind. That's a different story.
0: Well, I'm super excited to be here with you today. And uh, although we are not in the same room, I feel very connected to you.
1: Podcast social distancing, right? That's the new black, clearly. (laughs) Do you know what it's called when you Google yourself? I don't. It's a word. It's called ego surfing. And I tend to do it a lot just because I enjoy seeing how many pages down the Google numbers I go because I'm like the only Matthew Zachary. But you have a significant social footprint in Google search. I don't know how if you've Googled yourself recently, but you've done a great job. Well, thank you. I assume intentionally <laughs> to get yourself out there known. And you have such an incredibly like unicorn storied history of everything you've accomplished. It's amazing. I did want to start by just acknowledging the choreographer in you. Did not fully bake that into my appreciation for All You Are. So my first thought immediately went to the scene in the birdcage when Robin Williams goes, Fosse, 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 Twyla, Twyla, Twyla. Who's your favorite? He also does Martha Graham, yeah. Yes. Uh, But then there's, of course, there's Susan Stroman, Alvin Ailey, you know, Jerome Robbins. Where do you get your inspiration from in choreography?
0: My inspiration is really human physicality. And I say that because when I choreographed Romance and Cigarettes, it was blue-collar choreography. It was normal people moving in a way that was stylized. Now, I grew up with Baryshnikov and Gelsey Kirkland as my inspiration. So I wanted to move to New York and be a ballerina. I did move to New York and work with Baryshnikov when I was dancing with the Lucinda Childs Dance Company. But I also knew that in order to be a ballerina in New York City, you have to weigh seventy-five pounds. And I quite enjoy eating. So I
1: decided to <laughs> conflict of interest.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I decided to be a modern dancer so that I could use my technique and still have a, you know, cheese.
1: <laughs> yes. Not the cube of cheese from Devil Will's Prada.
0: Exactly. With your exactly. stomach flu
1: away from your goal weight.
0: Right, right. So I actually also studied at Alvin Ailey, and what's amazing is I now live across the street from the Alvin Ailey studios, and we moved here into this apartment almost two years ago. And it was just pure heaven to look out my window and see all of the young dancers uh, making their dreams come true. Since COVID, the windows have been dark, and just like Broadway, so there is a a pretty big wound in the city right now in terms of performance. And I definitely feel it.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, we can endlessly wax poetic and disdainful against how COVID has destroyed the arts entirely. The indoor arts, (laughs) the indoor arts, because, yes, you can watch things on Zoom and have Zoom fatigue, but there's no substitute for going to the Ziegfeld or going to the Alvin Ailey Theater and watching these things. And it's, it's a true loss, definitely a true loss. I guess that's a good tie-in to what has it been like. You, You work in the public speaking arena. You train speakers. Everything is live. How has COVID, I mean, we know what it's done to destroy anything live, but to the detriment of so many aspirational creators, the mental health toll, the logistics toll, the financial toll, how have you witnessed and therapized around this loss?
0: Well, if I if I go back to March 24th, which was the date for my event in New York City, which was called Speakers Who Dare, where I put on a, a speaker event. It's an all day thing. I call it Theatrical Academia. So it's like TED Talks. So short, powerful, academic, thought provoking talks surrounded by Broadway dancers, musicals, a band on stage, uh, an MC, all of that. When I think about that moment in time and what I needed to do, I had the opportunity to innovate and to get creative. And although we are experiencing deep grief and loss around the arts right now, I also think it's a time for profound innovation. And I share this because we started getting information around March 13th in New York. It was chaotic, very uncertain. Nobody knew what was happening. It was happening very, very quickly. My speakers had worked for nine months to get ready for this event. I had already rehearsed all of my singers and my performers and we were ready to go. And I realized when they closed Broadway and then they started saying no, no events less than 50, I thought, I can't ask my speakers who are all over the world to fly into this hotspot. So I had to get really, really honest with myself. Do I still put on the show because I want to put on a show? Is my ego in in the way right now? Or do I think about how to do this so that these speakers can serve humanity at a time when we need it more than ever? And so I took a walk on a Sunday and I thought, "I, I have to do this if I postpone it or cancel it. The whole world is missing out on these incredible, in, in innovative, and diverse speakers and, and speeches. So I thought, what do I do besides produce theater? Well, I make movies. I am a filmmaker. I produce documentaries. So I decided to invite all of my speakers. It's um, storming in New York right now, if you heard that thunder. Wow. I invited all of my speakers and directed them to make mini movies of their talk. And I cut it together together to make a feature film that I live streamed on March 24th. So everyone was in the safety of their home and they got to experience this event in a way that was more innovative than had they been in the theater because the theater reached 150 people. This live stream reached 150 countries.
1: It's very telling how we're able to be so adaptable in the face of unprecedented social change. And I don't say social change like, uh, upheaval and a citizen. This is global pandemic we're talking about. I've been doing a lot of episodes on telehealth and how the in-person social groups where people typically go once a week for cancer support or Alcoholics Anonymous or abuse, domestic abuse, and they're doing it the, virtually now. It's not the same, but it has been, it's proven to be just as equally effective in a very different way what was the response not just like oh my god we can do this all the time to reach so many people and it's not a sub for a limited audience in real time but what was the response from doing it this way and all the people that got to watch this themselves
0: The response was that they didn't know it was possible to enjoy an event so much that was virtual. They didn't know it was possible that they could see dance, that they could hear music. I mean, I still had Broadway performers. I still had dance. It still happened. It was just not in a theater. And the speakers were pushed beyond the limits that they thought were possible for themselves. So not only did they have to perform in a new way, which was to camera, but they also got to experience the event together at the same time. So we actually got on a Zoom call, the 22 speakers, and we watched the live stream on a Zoom call. So we got to watch each other and everybody was talking in the chat and that would not have happened if if we had been at the theater.
1: It's like an event horizon of creativity.
0: Completely. It was incredibly magical and uh, something that I will not forget and would not have happened if I had not been faced with the challenge.
1: I think you kind of triggered me a little bit because I've done hundreds of uh, public stage presentations, as as you know, and my listeners know, but I hate direct-to-camera. I don't know what it is about direct-to-camera that just freaks me out. I'm able to do it. You could force your brain to figure it out, but like you're taking people that may have never done direct-to-camera before. What was it like to help them adapt to that?
0: I'm pretty good at creating a safe environment for people to to trust me. And even if they trust me blindly, they know that they're going to come out on the other side looking good. And uh, several of my speakers, I would have them set up shots and send me pictures, or I would talk to the person who was running the camera so that I could give them direction. Um, it was really spectacular and. It was such a heightened moment for everyone because it was just total chaos and uncertainty that there was a level of willingness to try anything because nobody knew what the F was happening.
1: (laughs) Oh, this is my show. You can see all the curse words you want. We are not (laughs) bound by any MPAA ratings here. But you're absolutely right. Like I I want to focus more on like let's take COVID out of this for just a second because you know, coming out of the cancer world the public health world the the patient advocate world there's a lot of people that just want to tell their stories and then there are people they may not have been influenced by something tragic to in to to make them want to tell their stories but just people who are natural storytellers can you talk to us a little bit about the cultivation process or when a seed germinates into an idea where can people go besides google searches I want to be a public speaker. I have things to say. I have opinions. How do you parse out those individuals and, and and help them grow into saplings and beautiful plants? Saplings
0: and beautiful plants. I I love working with speakers who have too many ideas and who have no ideas. Both of those uh, ailments cause paralysis. What I also love is the process of identifying an idea through asking questions. Um, I'm an incredibly good listener. And I create a very safe space. And that's part of what I do as a director with actors as well. I create a safe space in the rehearsal room so that actors can go big, so they can fail big, so they can win big, so they can get to the other side, which is the truth, right? You want to play a scene that is truthful. Even if it's wrong, it needs to be truthful. So when I start to work with speakers, whether it's in the speaker salon, the Big Talk Academy, whether it's one-on-one work, it's really about me asking them tons of questions so they become comfortable with telling me the truth. And that is when we identify what that real idea is. Many speakers will come to me and they think I have a great idea. I'm going to talk about my blind children and retinal disease. And okay, that's a very interesting, compelling story Why is that an idea that you want to talk about? So what we end up doing is going deeper. And this is a perfect example of my client, Kristen Smedley, one of my first TEDx speakers. She said exactly that. I want to talk about retinal disease because two of my kids are born blind. So I start going deeper with her and asking her questions. And what we end up with is this talk is not about retinal awareness. It is about how you learn to see the world differently through the eyes of your children. Now, why that's important, why it's so important to get to the truth of what it is you're trying to share is because I don't have kids. I don't have blind kids. So if she's speaking about retinal awareness and blindness, I'm not going to resonate. But if she's speaking about how we learn to see the world differently through the eyes of other people, I can instantaneously connect to her talk and think about how to look through the eyes of others to have empathy.
1: Absolutely. I, mean, I love the deconstruction of a larger idea into its pure core emotional hook into making it a universal language. How, how do you create math from algorithms? So you're reverse engineering the way that you want people to listen and hear versus what you think they want to hear and what you want to say. It's the perfect way to build the right mousetrap. I had the privilege of coming to one of your events last year and witnessing this wonderful, I mean, it was, wasn't TEDx-ish, but it was a showcase of women you have been working on coaching to get on stage, maybe some for the first time, some for the second time. And it was amazing to see their levels of confidence. And the crowd was so supportive in real time, putting yourself on the line in front of like naked on stage. That's an incredible ecosystem to build for confidence and personal empowerment.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that was the speaker salon. And what's so magical about the speaker salon is that you literally get on stage every single week. It's an incubator for the speaking process. And every week they show up on Thursday from 10 to 2, everybody gets a moment to get on stage. And at the end, they perform their talks in front of an audience of influencers. So they literally get to work on nerves. They get to work on performance. And it culminates in this literal showcase. Now, what's amazing is right now, of course, everything's virtual. So I got to try this out. I got to test this method out with my Big Talk Academy. At the end of the Big Talk Academy, which is a 12-week certification program, I produced a virtual showcase where eight of my speakers got to perform virtually for a group of influencers. And again, Because I think theatrically, of course, there was an opening song with Broadway music, Broadway performers. There was a closing song about Black Lives Matter. So and through it, I was um, introducing and doing context and giving them live direction. So it was pretty much a show. It was a performance. And it was, again, equally as as received and well received as the live event.
1: back with our guest after the break.
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car.
1: I want to talk about self-confidence and morale and worthiness and how learning to embrace your inner orator can really bring you out of your shell, make you a better person, a more worldly citizen. It's, it's therapy for many people to realize that they can't – like stage fright butterflies, that's like number one fear in humanity, basically. And you've been able to harness the ability to see the best in people that they can't see in themselves. What's it like to almost be therapist-ish in coaching these people out of their shells to become incredible people on stage?
0: Well, I think it's, again, about creating that safe space so that the vulnerability can come forward without the fear of being rejected. And this is very much how I lead my community as well. All of my speakers in the membership community or the Big Talk Academy, they know they can show up to the call and be themselves because there will be no judgment and they will be fully accepted by me and everyone else in the community. I mean, inclusion and integrity and curiosity are three of my biggest values. So that's just how I roll. When it comes to self-confidence and understanding that your story needs to be told. Because it will not only change, but could potentially save a life. That is how serious I take this business. And I know that you do as well. And when you are speaking from a stage and you have the possibility of saving someone's life, it cannot be about you. If you are in your head about being nervous, if you are in your head about, I hope I don't forget. If you are in your head about, I hope they like me. It's the wrong approach. It's all about Serving the audience. It's got to be about the message. And I'll share a story. One of my speakers who was at the speaker salon, he is a vegan. He loves animals. He's very serious about being a vegan. He doesn't wear animal clothing. He doesn't go to zoos. He doesn't watch animal movies on TV. He does not eat animal products. And he's extremely, extremely shy. He would go up on stage and grimace and shake and quiver. He was so nervous. And when I pointed out that he needed to be the voice of the animals, that changed everything for him. Wow. He stopped, he stopped making it about him.
1: So there's a degree of of like improv everywhere role-playing that triggers a different emotional context for people to feel more confident.
0: Well, there's also tricks to it. And you know, the, the techniques that I teach also help with that. There's another example. He he started becoming more confident, but then he started becoming Repetitive, So he would deliver it the same way every single time. Mm-hmm. So in order to get him to stop doing that, I literally covered the stage with stuff, buckets, stools, brooms, music stands. I just covered the stage with stuff. And I asked him to deliver his talk while he cleaned up the stage. And by giving him something to do, it made him drop into the moment. So with actors, if they're playing a scene and it's it's stale, it's shallow, it's it's not real, I'll ask them to do something, whether it's wash dishes, you know, uh, make the bed, whatever is appropriate for the scene. So when you are delivering a talk and you think you know it or you want to know if you can deliver it in a way that's honest and truthful after you're memorized, give yourself something to do while you deliver it.
1: I love that you use the term acting, which is a trade. It's a, you train, it's a trade, it's a profession. And you're taking people that are not professional actors and helping them understand how to emote on their terms. Where do you draw the line between, oh, I'm not an actor, I'm just doing this, but you're not really just doing this. You are yourself on stage, authentically communicating.
0: Well, I think if you want to step onto a stage, you need to step into the role of speaker So whether you're stepping into the role of Macbeth or you're stepping into the role of speaker, you are stepping into a role. And that requires a heightened level of performance awareness. And I teach this to my actors and my speakers. It's objective in action. And Matthew, this is something we as human beings do unknowingly every single day. So if you want your kids to go to bed, that's your objective. How you get them to do that is by playing an action. And that action could be storytell, tickle, uh, bribe yeah, bribe that- I
1: was going to say bribe <laughs> <laughs> definitely bribe
0: exactly so that's what you do as a speaker as well if you want if you want to play a scene with somebody you have to play you have to know what you want from your scene partner and you have to go after it relentlessly and if you're not getting it you have to change the action so here's an example if i'm on stage and i'm giving a talk and my audience is looking at their phones and bored out of their minds. That's not what I want. I want them to nod their heads. Yes. I want them to be beaming and smiling at me and receiving everything that I'm saying openly and with whole heart. If I'm not getting that, I need to change the action that I'm playing. And it might mean I need to entertain them for a minute. It might mean I need to wait in complete and total silence until they look up to see why I'm standing there and not talking.
1: Yeah, that's the art of the strategic pause. See what I did there? I did. <laughs> yeah, I've had to do that many, many times where things get rustly in the crowd, and I, I usually just stop my foot on the floor. just like a big thump, and everyone like looks up from their phones, and I say, hey, we're going to have some fun now. Not that we weren't having fun, I assume. I also found out, you're a podcaster like me, I also found out a really great trick to get someone's attention is to just call out their name really loudly and (laughs) catch them off guard because it gets them to recenter why they're in the moment that they're supposed to be in. I want to really get to understand, I mean, this is a labor of love and a passion of yours. It is completely, I would imagine, self-reinforcing that every time you are able to help groom and create that new flower from that seed, it just reinvigorates you that this is the best way to make a dent in the world. I love that on one of your bios, like, I'm just here to, to make the world a better place. And as as hallmarky as that is, that's kind of the right thing to be as a human.
0: It really is. And when I started saying out loud, I'm going to make the world a better place, that's when everything started literally happening in terms of the expansion of how many speakers I was in touch with. And when I see them walk on stage one way and walk off another as a transformed speaker, I know I have done my job and I know that the ripple effect of them sharing their story is far beyond what I will ever see, which is why I went from being a dancer who had an impact in the theater which was the number of people and for the amount of time i was on stage that was the limitation of my impact so now by helping people illuminate and and amplify their voices every time a speaker gives that talk all of those people who hear it are going to be affected and then all of those people who are affected are going to share that message with people that they know so the ripple effect and the impact that i can have on making the world a better place is something i take very seriously
1: yeah, I'm on record endlessly ad nauseum saying that stories are really the only thing we have. And the best thing you can do is to share them the right way. So let's dig into your workshop series coming up, because I know many of my listeners who are cancer survivors and survivors of rare disease and just have amazing stories in business to tell. What can they do? How can they learn? What can you offer? And let's discuss the opportunity at hand.
0: In order to tell your story and to tell it effectively, it's so important that you understand the technique. And I want to reach as many people as possible and people who can't come to New York to be in the speaker salon or who can't work with me one-on-one. They can work with me in the Big Talk Academy, and it is a 12-week certification program that culminates in a virtual showcase, and you become certified in the art of the Big Talk, my technique, and it is completely online. You get to go through the process at your pace. You identify your idea. You learn how to write it. You learn how to pitch it. You learn what a strong opening and a strong closing is. You learn the art of the through line and the arc, the story arc. It's a comprehensive certification program. And we just went through it for the last four months. Um, in March, I was also planning to launch the certification program and I just didn't feel right about it. So I put an application out for scholarships. 40 people applied for full scholarships and 40 people received full scholarships.
1: Wow. Wow. That's amazing, yeah. So there's no short supply of demand for this.
0: <laughs> correct, correct. Yes, and the next one's happening in October, and if you get on the wait list now, you'll get access to some special bonuses.
1: And we'll put links in the description, and when we when this episode gets published, uh, we'll definitely use the link. What's the website people can go to learn more?
0: TheBigTalkAcademy.com
1: thebigtalkacademy.com dot com. How did you come up with that name? Because it just seems to make sense, anyway.
0: Well, my my platform is the big talk, and it felt right that it would be an academy, something that was a little bit more sophisticated in terms of learning this technique.
1: Not the big talk dumpster fire. Clearly, you, you picked the right words. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I really mean what I say. Because again, just channeling the business world of healthcare, similar to like lobbying on the on 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 the hill for Congress, the stories matter. Most people don't know that this government's run by 22-year-old interns, which is fine. But you can have 50 people showing up in Washington, D.C. To, t- to-, to rally for something. But it's one person's story that gets a bill approved. That's really all it comes down to. And the art of telling that story the right way. I love New York. New York is always a character in my podcasts. And there's no better sort of fourth wall to break than having taxis in the background. This is what makes makes doing the show in New York so great because this is New York. And what do we have? We don't have theater. We don't have Broadway. Nothing's here. We just have ourselves. But I still think that stories are going to be what saves us all.
0: Without question, and back to what you were just saying in terms of getting a bill passed, Kristen Smedley, the woman I mentioned at the top of the show, she spoke at the FDA, shared her story, and got funding for research for this rare eye disease.
1: Exactly. That's a, I've done six of those. And to be honest, there's a great statistic that you should all know, which is that 85% of all meetings at the FDA that have a patient telling their story the right way, they get what they want. of the 8.5 out of 10 times the FDA says yes if there's a proper patient storyteller in that room. That is hard data and even further reinforces the desire and the need to create great speakers. Award-winning director Tricia Brooke, founder of the Big Talk Academy, thank you so much for coming on the show. We want to have you back because there is an endless need to create better stories to advance better initiatives and create a better country.
0: I will come back anytime you want, and I'm always here to help create a better country.
1: Yes, we need that right now more than ever. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be
0: sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell.